My name is Tom Dunn. I have the great privilege of running a technology-based finance company that normally has me on the road or in the air to any one of more than 50 countries in which Orbion does business around the world. COVID-19 has dramatically altered this world. In this series of podcasts, I hope to shed some light on different aspects of the pandemic's effect. Generally, the lens will be pulled back and a wider perspective brought into view. But the aim will always be to provide expert commentary that will shine a torch on a strand of particular interest. For this piece, I have the enormous pleasure to be joined from his office in Bristol by acclaimed natural history film producer, Hugh Cordy. Over a 30-year career in documentary filmmaking, Hugh has long been associated with the spellbinding work of Sir David Attenborough. From the life of mammals to planet Earth, the hunt, and the most recent, almost unbelievable production of Dancing with the Birds, Hugh is recognized as one of the finest natural history film producers in the world. Underpinning these achievements is a profound sense of awe with the living creatures, both animals and plants, that share this world with us. It is to this subject that we will turn our attention today, COVID-19 and the natural world. Hugh, it's a real pleasure to um, to have you, you know, join this series of podcasts today. Um, I've been really looking forward to this one, probably more than, uh, than the, 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 the many of the things I've had to look forward to over the last couple of weeks. It's still very early in this pandemic, but are we already, and, and, and we've already seen, you know, very considerable effects in terms of the economic and social behaviors. And every day, the, fil- the first 15 pages of every newspaper is filled with what is, uh, with what is going on um, in the world, in the human world, um, based on the, uh, this pandemic. But are we yet seeing any transmission of these human effects into the natural world? Well, and thank you very much for inviting me, Tom. It's it's lovely to be able to do this. Um, well, I think it's fair to say that for the most part, animals are having an easier time without us sort of moving through their environments all the time. I mean, we've probably all seen the video of kangaroos jumping through the streets of Melbourne or lions roaming around the golf courses in South Africa. And I think without us there, Animals are behaving slightly differently. I, I, have, a, I have a friend in the Maasai Mara at the moment. He's one of the few people that uh, are able to film there right now. And he's seeing things there that probably haven't been seen since the sort of beginning of tourism in the Maasai Mara, maybe, you know, the 1950s. He's seeing, you know, large herds of elephant coming together. He's seeing leopards mating in the wild. So definitely, I would say uh, animals are moderating the behavior now without us there. And there's another very significant change, and that's with the huge reduction in in road transport. You know, it's down to about 30 percent of what it was. Fewer animals are getting run over. Now, you might not think that's such a I mean, it sounds sort of slightly Monty Python-esque, but, you know, the numbers are huge. I mean, in this country, for example, there are up to 50,000 badgers killed on the roads every year. And with fewer cars on the road right now at a time when a lot of these animals are breeding, it's going to have a significant effect on the populations of many different kinds of animals. Um, I have a friend in in East Coast America in Vermont, and uh, he was saying that a road that he would periodically travel up in in the spring and summer would be absolutely littered with the carcasses of animals, deers, raccoons, possums, and he's seeing virtually no dead animals at all. So 
um, there's a there's a big change. There's a, the populations of, of many of our wild animals are certainly going to be in better shape as a result of the lockdown. That's hugely interesting. Obviously, it's a, as you say, animals are benefiting from humans having sort of a smaller footprint at the moment, getting in the way a little bit less. But I guess to turn a little bit, kind of to look at the other side of this, in my the, the last podcast with um, with Dr. Judith Tyson, um, we talked about the effects of the pandemic on the economies of the kind of more focusing on the economies of developing countries, particularly in Africa and Asia. And as we think about the adverse effects economically that these countries are suffering or these regions are suffering, particularly as a result of kind of sharply lower commodity prices and an almost total cessation of tourism, which are, you know, these are two key economic planks in Africa, might we start to see some more adverse secondary effects? Right now, the animals are benefiting from our lower footprint, but are there elements in which the lower footprint then actually translates into some adverse consequences? That's a very good question. And there is actually a downside, uh, as there always are in these things, to um, our smaller footprint. I mean, put very simpler, simply, there's, there's fewer eyes um, looking out for things that are happening. Now, I read a report last week uh, from the RSPB who said, the number of reports of birds of prey, protected birds of prey being killed, have skyrocketed. And these are probably gamekeepers, farmers, who have long had a vendetta against birds of prey because they either kill pheasant chicks or, 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 or maybe have a, uh, implicated the death of, uh, of lambs or other uh, farm animals. And um, they've been killed in much greater numbers, the RSPB think, because there are fewer people around watching what's happening. So that's just happening here on our on our own island. But around the world with much less tourism, uh, what you're having is situations where perhaps there's not enough money now to pay for guards. And anecdotally around the world, I've heard that the incidence of poaching, uh, of uh, habitat destruction is going up because there is less money and fewer people watching. I mean, that makes that seems to make a great deal of sense. I mean, at the, the end of the day, one of the, you know, one of the great, I guess, success stories has been the growth of ecotourism, of safaris based around around people, you know, going and spending, you know, meaningful sums of money to visit um, animals in their natural habitat. Yes, they may disturb them somewhat, but it's providing very important sources of income into those uh, economies that are able to to provide, um, as you say, guards, but also just ensure that people have a livelihood that doesn't rely on them doing things that might otherwise damage the natural environment. I mean, is that, is, is, this is going to be, this this has the the possibility of being a problem. Is that, would that be fair? Yes. I think it, it does have the possibility of being a problem because despite the fact that a lot of us really like nature for its own sake, and I mean, that's that's very evident now, isn't it? With uh, no shops open, no restaurants, bars, and so on. Many more people are now as lockdown eases. People are going out into nature. I've seen it myself here in Bristol and they're enjoying nature much more. How many people have talked about how uh, how, how they've been hearing birdsong like never before. Well, the birds aren't singing louder. They're just not being drowned out by the sound of traffic and planes. So people appreciate nature more. So we all, I think, well, most of us, 
have this appreciation of nature. But at the same time, I think you've got to accept that in many places around the world, nature has to have a value. And tourist dollars create that value. It creates a meaning for those places still to be sort of kept intact, uh, for species to be protected. And without that money coming in, of course, if you're if you're suddenly living on the you know in, in poverty, you know, without this, this this income, then you might stop taking advantage of your the wild places on your doorstep. Um, it's inevitable and you know and almost understandable. So there's definitely a, a, a worrying aspect to this this lockdown and and the drop in travel. And at the moment, you know, the air traffic is down to 10% of what it was in um, this time last year. So it's massive, and that impact is going to be felt across the world in in our wild places. Let's turn now a little bit, kind of. Um... Uh, from from the the specifics of if you like the natural world to a broader question around the global environmental agenda, um, and it really felt as though 2019 marked a watershed in kind of policy considerations about the urgency of addressing climate change. It was the year in which uh, Greta Thunberg was was lauded as you know one of the uh, global celebrities. Um, the year before, in 2018, she'd had her lone protest outside the outside the Swedish Parliament. By the end of 2019, she was addressing the United Nations and was and and and, and was very much the global superstar. With with the attendant change in kind of the recognition of the importance of addressing climate change as an urgent priority for mankind. Um, it seems that right now all of the attention is on, is on addressing the um, the more immediate challenges of COVID nineteen. Um, so, what's your sense of how this is going to affect the broader environmental agenda um, as we start to come out of the pandemic and kind of have to reassess where the broader environmental position sits? Yes, but I think this is one of those questions where you pay your money, you take your you take, make your choices. I mean, it could go either way. I mean, I'm an optimist, so I'm hoping it's going to go in the way of a sort of a much greener um, future. But I think, I mean, really, I, I genuinely feel that sort of visionary leaders are the people who say we can't afford not to move towards a greener economy. Um, you know, there's no point in coming out of this and investing in old technology. You know, we've got to use this opportunity to build a better future. Um, you know, we're at a stage now where um, the carbon dioxide levels in our atmosphere has never been higher. It's 412 parts per million. And just to put that in perspective, the last time it was that high, sea levels were 15 to 20 meters higher. I mean, we're impacting every aspect of our planet. You know, the, the sort of natural forces that keep us uh, or have kept us safe for 10,000 years, you know, the weather, the oceans, uh, the amount of sunlight hitting on a planet, that is now being threatened by these levels of carbon dioxide. So the ocean's getting warmer, uh, more acid. Um, that's affecting the, the currents. I mean, it's a serious, serious issue. And if we think COVID-19 has been a disaster for the global economy and the global world, which of course it has, it's as nothing as compared to the impact of climate change if we do nothing about it. Um, and we all have to make a 50% drop in emissions by 2030. That's every single one of us. And probably in the West, we need to make a bigger uh, decrease than that. 
um, or we need to make more of, uh, uh, of an increase in, in carbon uh, emission drops. Because um, if we don't, you know, the, the temperature of the planet is going to go up higher than one and a half, two degrees, and that will be a disaster for us. We'll have tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people uh, living in places that uh, can no longer properly support life. And, you know, we've seen it with bushfires, we've seen it with flooding, um, we've seen it with hurricanes. I mean, the last six years have been the hottest since six years since records began in 1880. So if you want to take those problems, you have to say that we, none of us can afford not to do that. But the question is, is it going to happen? Have we got the will? Because as you sort of you know, inferred from your question is that, you know, when we come out of this pandemic, there'll be people without jobs. You know, the, the economies have, have gone down the plug hole. So we've got to, we've got to sort of focus on, on what is a priority. And people's priorities will be like finding a job, you know, building up their income. Will it be a greener economy? Now, what I say is the green economy is good for everybody. You know, it's going to produce cheaper energy prices for consumers and businesses. So my feeling is we can't afford not to do it. And there's never been a better time. I mean, if you think about it, COVID-19 has shown how vulnerable humans are. I mean, we thought of ourselves as all conquering, all powerful, but it's actually undone that, that image. You know, we are vulnerable to something. And this vulnerability is, is exactly what's going to happen if we do nothing with climate change. And on the other side of that is that the pandemic has shown how as a global community, we can sort of focus on something that can be fixed. So we're all working towards finding a way out of this pandemic, you know, sort of coming up with a vaccine. And I think that in the last month or two has shown what we could do as a global economy to solve the climate crisis. Yeah, that's very. There's a very interesting letter in the Financial Times this morning from um, Zach Goldsmith and, uh, and 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 three or four others that co-wrote this, which goes to exactly to the point you just you just made, which is as we as we come out of this crisis, which has been you know, devastating for the economy, it's very important that there not be a sense of kind of crisis fatigue, but rather that the rebuilding be based very much around a green agenda for the investments, for the new jobs that need to be created, that there is an opportunity as we re rebuild the economy to, to reboot it based around a far broader environmental agenda. And, and, and that seems to accord with what you're just suggesting there. Yes. I mean, in a survey of, of people in the developed world, um, between 60 and 70% of people responded saying that uh, the climate change crisis was as serious as COVID-19. So there's a will amongst people, and there's going to be a will amongst governments. I mean, I've just been making a film about carbon. It's a film from the BBC called Perfect Planet about the forces of nature, but the final episode is about the human force, about how we've, we've destroyed these, or, or about to destroy these fragile forces, about human impact on raising the levels of carbon dioxide. And we've worked with um, an, an economist, uh, environmentalist, Jeremy Rifkin, who is the author of the Green New Deal. And he says something very simple. He says, you know, when we're thinking about new energy systems, you know, it's renewable, sustainable energy, energy systems, you know, we have them all here at our disposal. I mean, as he says, the sun has never sent us a bill. 
the wind has never invoiced us. Now, solar energy has never been cheaper to produce than it is now. So there doesn't make, there's no reason why we shouldn't start moving towards an economy that's no longer based on fossil fuels, because this is what we have to do. If we don't do it, the, the, the impact on the planet is, is disastrous. So what better time than to do it now when we've come out of this crisis and we move to a better future? Yeah, it's very, and it's sort of it. It's just in, it, we sort of loop back round in many ways to the to the first podcast that uh, that I did in this series with uh, with Professor Archie Brown from Oxford University, where we talked about political leadership, and it's 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 very clear that a huge, the single most important factor in determining how we come out of this crisis and what happens to us after this crisis is going to come down in huge measure to the degree of political leadership and the quality of political leadership that we have in the UK and that other countries around the globe uh, enjoy as well. But of course, it's not, it's not, you know, not everybody's jumping on, on, on this, this future. I mean, as we know, the superpowers, particularly America, uh, Donald Trump is not exactly a fan of moving to this greener economy. You know, he's rolling back some of the, the standards of, in air pollution and fuel efficiency um, you know, this is sort of like, you know, investing in old technology. I mean, it, it's a disaster, but obviously they're such an important country. So it, it really, it's in the balance, I think, Tom, whether, you know, we'll all move towards this greener economy as quickly as we need to. Well, Hugh, thank you so much for joining us today. I, you know, I, as I said, I was this was uh, this was one of the uh, the things that I was most looking forward to. Uh, you've uh, you've fulfilled every one of my expectations. It's been a real thrill to have you uh, uh, join me today, and um, I wish you all the very best. Thank you very much, Tom, and it's been a pleasure to uh, to talk to you today. Thank you.